One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now save fifty percent on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power twenty twenty three award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film. If only in theaters May seventeenth. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for fifteen dollars a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential plan on us. Mintmobile. slash switch. Upfront payment of forty five dollars, equivalent to fifteen dollars per month, unlimited over forty gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at four eighty p. Active Mint customers by five thirty one twenty four get six months of Paramount Plus Essential plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May thirty first, twenty twenty four. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. An Erio's original. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. Aftermath. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Aftermath. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Rumela Sen. Dr. Sen is a lecturer at Columbia University's School of International and Public Affairs. Her book, Farewell to Arms, How Rebels Retire Without Getting Killed, examines how Maoist rebels in India and Nepal quit armed groups and returned to the same political process that they had once tried to overthrow. Let's hear what she has to say about the Nepalese royal massacre. Hi, Dr. Sen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Like I was saying, I was looking forward to it. It's a fun and cool thing that I'll be doing today. Well, I mean, we're going to put that on on the show notes. That'll be a direct quote. Cool, the coolest thing you did today yes, um, for the absolutely. show. <laughs> absolutely. In so entire week, I think. Oh, oh, okay. It gets better. It gets better. <laughs> <laughs> so I know this is a very difficult ask, but in order to help us with context, uh, could you give us an abbreviated history on the Nepalese monarchy, uh, specifically the Rana dynasty? How did they come to power? Right. So this will be a few hundred years in a few minutes. So (laughs) (laughs) so obviously it will be very simplistic. um, But the Rana dynasty in Nepal, like many other royal families, have always ruled by the principle of the divine right to rule. So in Nepal, um, when they first came to power about 200 years ago, 
uh, it still believed, and it was believed at that time, that the Rana represented the god on earth. And the Hindu god Vishnu, so he was considered an incarnate of the of Lord Vishnu on earth. Um, and so uh, they went through many, uh, you know, up and downs, but the Shah dynasty, that's the royal dynasty in Nepal. Um, the Shah dynasty has over time really increased its power and was trying to avoid what we call constitutional monarchy. So that has always been one of the goals until the monarch that was killed in the royal massacre, until he felt the pressure that he eventually has to concede and, you know, bring in some kind of limit on royal power, which is at the heart of this very controversial massacre of the royal family. So after King Barendra uh, ascends to the Nepalese throne in uh, 75, uh, he maintained absolute power, like you said, for almost two decades. Mm -hmm. How did this fare for the Nepalese people and how did things change politically in the 90s? Right. So uh, Nepal is not a very big country, but it is one of the most most diverse countries, ethnically diverse countries in the world. Uh, so uh, just wanted to qualify the Nepalese people a little bit, that there are many ethnic groups in Nepal that really was not happy with the Shah. And most of these groups lived in the more remote parts of Nepal, for example, western mountainous part of Nepal, where these rebel groups, the Maoists, eventually became very powerful. And also because these were remote in terms of distance, um, these people were never very directly governed by the throne. So they had to swear allegiance to the throne, but they were far away in the more remote terrain. So they had a sense of autonomy and you know, independence from the throne as well. So when the King Virendra tried something called um, a guided democracy, where he basically... Let's just say he pretended it's a democracy, like China sometimes wants to pretend like it has local democracy. So they pretended like it has democracy with this very clever, I would say, idea of panchayat party-less democracy. So panchayat basically means village self-rule. So they say the villages are autonomous. They are ruling themselves. But there will be no political party in Nepal. Because there is no need, because the king is already ruling by the divine right, and there is no reason for the people in Nepal to not accept him. So this went on in the, in the 90s, and it is in this context of no representation, really no control over what the government does, which was the royal, uh, that ruled through royal decrees, the Maoists came up in the 1990s, and uh, they started organizing people. First, far away from Kathmandu and then eventually approached the capital. Can you give us some background on the crown prince, Dipendra? Yes, I can. Um, you know, when I went to Nepal the last time before COVID, even after all these years, whenever uh, you, you bring up the crown prince, that's what I have seen. So it's anecdotal evidence. And I think a lot of commentators also have talked about it. People speak of him fondly. I haven't heard anything um, 
that's overtly, you know, a royal prince must have been spoiled. And, you, and people don't, I didn't feel that sentiment. The sentiment is very much, oh, he did not do that. He couldn't have done that. He also, he went to Eton where all the British and the European monarchs go to and all that, but he was known as down to earth. Also, he's most known in the context of his romantic relationship with Devyani Rana, who uh, had Indian connections. So in general, just to sum up, I have not heard anything that would uh, from the local people, even in the villages, that would lead me to think, well, this was expected, or that people did not like him. I thought they liked him. Huh. So who is Devyani Rana? Um, how did the couple meet? And what was their relationship like? Right. So this is all secondary evidence, all I have read and heard of. <laughs> so uh I, I know that Devyani Rana's family, her mom's side, is connected to one of the most powerful royal families in India, even today. The Sindhyas, who are known as one of the richest, most politically connected families in India. So Devyani Rana's mom, actually, her mother was the daughter of the last king in that family. So very direct connection. It's not a distant relation. And so uh, Devyani Rana, actually, when uh, this whole rumor was published and everyone came to know of the relationship she had with the crown prince, reportedly her mom was not happy because why would her daughter marry into such a poor family? Because the royal family of Nepal, so there is a hierarchy apparently wow. among families. And <laughs> so the royal family of Nepal was not as high up in the hierarchy, social, by prestige or by financial status, you know, as the royal family she came from. So they were opposed to the match for that reason. And I, from what I have heard, it's the same reason the crown prince's mother was also Queen Aishwarya, was also opposed to the match because, you know, the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law dynamics, I suppose, that's how the press has presented it, that she did not want a more powerful, more rich, more well-connected daughter-in-law to come and become the crown princess of Nepal. So what was the state of the royal Nepalese family in 2001? How were they doing? Uh, were they liked? They were very liked and they were very respected. Even though there was a Maoist revolution, it had already began by that time in the countryside. And so, as I was saying, there were different ethnic groups, the more minority ethnic groups that were not so happy. And they were in this revolution with the goal to overthrow the monarchy. But even then, the general population very much believed that the king is... Uh, has the right to rule. There was no real popular questioning of the legitimacy of his rule as such. And the other thing, uh, aspect I think is worth mentioning, compared to the grandeur of some of the royal families in, in South Asia, for example, the Indian royal families, or even in Europe, the Nepali royal family seemed much down to earth because Nepal is a small country. So even, even if you you know, compared the size and the grandeur of the palace, it seemed much 
down to earth compared to other royal families, even in India. It was not that big. It was not that distant. The walls were not that high. The gates were not that difficult to cross, you know. And so there was this intimacy between the royal family and the people. And there, the it's been widely written about because this massacre happened during a dinner, during a family dinner. So the family dinners were quite frequent in the royal family. So people were actually close to each other. And there were uh, the king's sisters and, uh, you know, the cousins. They used to get together. And because this was an intimate family event, there were no security, the usual security that the royal families would have. Um, They did not have those security in personal, private uh, dinners like this. So, I mean, I think the family was well-liked because they also were identified as a family. As uh, it's well known that Queen Ashwarya uh, was in love with the king and it was a real warm relationship. Although there were reports of uh, discord between the mother and the son over the potential daughter-in-law. That was the only discord that people knew about in the family. So, I, I mean, I know that there is much speculation about what happened on June 1st, mm-hmm. um, and we, I would love to cover all of it, um, but what is alleged to have happened that night? What is the more known account? Right. So the more popular or the known account or even the official account, this is what the Prime Minister of Nepal eventually reported and you know, uh, that the crown prince, Prince Dipendra, was drunk and he had also uh, taken some uh, other substances that made him lose control. And he was in his army fatigue and had two, three different guns that he brought from his personal collection. And uh, he opened fire and killed his parents, his younger brother, his cousin, his aunts, I think total of nine members of the family in one night. And uh, one of the things, again, that came up when I tried to talk about this event, there was a general feeling of sadness. That's palpable. I felt that when people talked about it. It did not matter if they supported the Maoists or not, if they were pro-monarchy or uh, anti-monarchy. Even today, uh, there is this you know, this veil of sadness that descends on people whenever you bring this up, because it's a small country. And Nepal is also the only Hindu kingdom. So this was very special for the people. There's no other Hindu kingdom in the world. So with the yeah. with this royal family, there is no other Hindu royal family that's left. So um, that, that one night, in one night, within a few hours, the crown prince, the Pendra, killed his entire family, and he actually became king. He, he shot himself too, but he was in the hospital. He didn't die. So for a couple of hours, he was pronounced the king. Because by Nepali constitution and law, because the king is above law, if he was alive, he won't be prosecuted for this, even if he did this. Wow. So, but it was only a few hours. And then he, he actually succumbed to his wounds in the hospital. And his uncle who miraculously escaped without injury, became the next king. I would love to talk about the uncle. And I also want to talk about the initial theory that came out of the palace, that the weapon malfunctioned somehow. Mm, That's true. This seems very unlikely to me. Um, Why did they even say this? 
I think they were trying to protect the legitimacy of or the image of the royal family. To have to come out and explain to people a tragedy of this proportion that the crown prince that could, if he survived, eventually could become the king. I think they were thinking of what that would do to the direct line uh, and the legitimacy of the crown. So they wanted to protect, I think. That's, that's, that's the only explanation I could think of. And the Maoist actually immediately, so at that time, Dr. Baburam Bhattarai, who was a Maoist leader and eventually became a prime minister of Nepal, immediately gave a statement to the press that this can't be. And he started questioning this, which actually led to a very dark episode of suppression of free press in Nepal. Because after this, there were a lot of journalists that were immediately arrested, a lot threatened, and people were asked to completely be quiet about this, which led to more and more conspiracy theories. Because when people don't understand how did this happen, they get more and more creative and imagination <laughs> and takes control because there was no real information. Um, yeah, I think just to protect the prince. But after he died, they did not have to protect him anymore. And so. I see. And I, I read as well that the, um, you know, because this, I believe this, the entire massacre took about uh, five minutes or so, uh, which is a long time, a very long time. Um, and yet, I, I'm not sure any of the guards did anything to stop it. Yeah, uh, there are so many gray areas when you come to think of, you know, you try to reconstruct as they do the crime scene and you try to think of, okay, how might this have happened? So it's recorded and there are cell phone records to show that Prince actually, uh, Prince Dependro actually called Zaviani and for three times before, right before the massacre. The first time he spoke for about one and a half minutes and his speech was slurred and so Reportedly, Deviani Rana was concerned, so she called a royal aide and asked them to take care of the prince. And then he called a second time and he said that, I'm okay, don't worry, I'm just going to go to bed. Uh, I'll be okay tomorrow. Because everyone knew that there is a tense, stressful environment within the family over this issue of him marrying her. And there were conversations of his brother taking his place, his younger brother, because the queen apparently was so determined and was so against this match that they were saying that if you want to marry her, you can, but then you have to totally, you know, say, have nothing to do with the royal family. You can be a private citizen and your brother will take your place. So the crown prince and Deviani Rana interviewed after that and said that's why she is, she doesn't believe that the crown prince did it. Because he apparently in the last, the third phone call, which was about 30 seconds, he said that uh, I'm going to bed and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. And so there was a mention of tomorrow. And so she, she reported that and she said that this can't be. So that's where the conspiracy theories come up. The people of Nepal, when I spoke to them, also mentioned this. And one other aspect of this, that it was very clear from the photographs that were released later on and also from the reports that Prince Dependra uh, also 
showed six, I believe, bullet wounds in his back. Oh. So, so people started questioning that, is there any explanation how the prince shot everyone and then reportedly ran out of ammunition, went back to his room, to his part of the palace, got more ammunition, came back. And in the meantime, uh, the king apparently was not yet dead. So he took the gun, took a gun, and he tried to kill Dipendra himself. That's what the palace guards later reported. But he did not because his sister said that, don't do this, we can handle this. Don't kill him, he's the crown prince. Apparently all of these things went on. That's what the palace guards reported later on. And yet nobody killed or even overpowered the prince for this entire time. And then some, in some miraculous way, he shot himself in the back six times uh, with his own gun. And so uh, there are a lot of unexplained, you know, anomalies in this account and nobody, no one knows and nobody will ever know probably. But one of the most popular conspiracy theory in Nepal is that uh, the Indian secret agency, the research and analysis wing, the RAW as it's known, might have had a hand in this because... India has always had a lot of strategic interest in Nepal because China, you know, and so uh, traditionally the Indian government has had control. And so the people in Nepal like to believe, and I have heard this from people, both ordinary people and politicians uh, in Nepal, that they wanted to replace the king and the royal family by uh, his brother, King Gyanendra, who eventually became the king to have more leverage and control over what Nepal does vis-a-vis India and China. And so this is one of the most popular conspiracy theories. The other one is, of course, that, you know, King Gyanendra's son, the younger brother's son, uh, King, I think his name was Prince Paris, apparently put on some kind of prosthetic mask of Prince Dipendra, and who was responsible for the shooting because the only people who escaped this whole massacre in the family without a scratch is King Gyanendra, who eventually became the king, his son, and his wife. That just is very suspect. Yeah, I would say so too. Just because if he indeed was shooting indiscriminately, it is... I don't know, very lucky in, in my eyes. Exactly. So people are, it's, it's, it's called Nepal's Kennedy assassination, you know. <laughs> it's known as that, that the mysteries around it will forever intrigue people. Uh, people have tried, I know, it, people of Nepal have tried to, you know, calculate and do the math of the trajectory of the bullets, and trying to place the gunman, if Dependra was the gunman, where was he? Is, were there more than one gunman, actually? And he was eventually dressed in, because he passed out, he was eventually dressed in army fatigue and the gun was put in his hand. All kinds of, all kinds of conspiracy theories are uh, there. But it was a momentous, I think, moment. Oh, and the other interesting story here is the story of a curse. You know what? Of course. So this also I learned from people in the villages. Multiple people would tell me that this was bound to happen because long ago, when the first Shah of Nepal um, 
you know, there was was trying to please a, a saint, a sage. And he offered him yogurt and apparently the sage just regurgitated the whole thing and asked him to eat again as a sign of respect, which he refused. And then he just showed his fingers and said, 10 generations, that's it. Your family will not last more than this. And this was the 10th generation. So this story, even before the massacre happened, people actually knew of it. So when Prince Dipendra was not getting uh, married and there was he was in his 30s, which is very old compared to the expectations of the royal family, um, people were already talking about it. If this family, this generation ends here, because if he doesn't get married, he won't produce an heir to the throne. And, you know, so after the massacre happened, yeah, it came up again. <laughs> wow. And, you know, uh, we're, we're running out of time, but I just have a few more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the king's brother, uh, he becomes uh, king, Gyanendra. Um, mm-hmm. Now, he, of course, has a lot to gain from, <laughs> from this terrible tragedy. What happens right after the massacre? How does the palace respond Yes. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. So after King Gyanendra, under these circumstances, he became the king of Nepal. He did not have the legitimacy that the royal family usually enjoyed in Nepal. So that was, I think, the main implication of this, because questions were already being raised if this was a massacre orchestrated by him, particularly in the minds of the people. And because, as you said rightly, he had a lot to gain, right? It's just common sense also for people that he's the only one who benefited out of this. Nobody else benefited. And so that, together with the Maoists, the Maoists were actually, they they led this armed rebellion against the monarchy. And one of the plans they had is to overthrow the monarchy, to establish democracy in Nepal, which they eventually did. It is actually one of the only cases in the history of the world, other than Mao's China, where a Maoist actually came to power. There are other Maoist movements in Colombia, the FARC, in Peru, the Shining but they have not succeeded. But the Maoists in Nepal succeeded because of this royal massacre that weakened the legitimacy of the royal family so much that people did not really care about King Gyanendra at all. And Gyanendra also, over time, took a very hardline stance uh, and wanted to totally repress the Maoists. He started attacking them. He also took away whatever little semblance of democracy King uh, before him, his older brothers already introduced. So he was going back on those and going back to more absolute monarchy again and proclaiming the right to divine right to rule. So he was extremely unpopular, and the Maoists eventually marched into Kathmandu, and the people joined the Maoists, and monarchy was overthrown. In, in, in Nepal. That was a historic moment. So finally, and we ask all of our guest experts this question. Okay. At the end of the day, if you had to pick a person or thing, it could be a concept that is to blame for the Nepalese royal massacre, who or what would that be? Mm. I know this one's a difficult one because there's so much speculation. I think power, if we had to think in abstraction in terms of a concept that's 
to blame. The Maoists were looking for power. The royal family was looking for power. There was competition for power and control within the royal family, both at political level and also personal level. This tussle between Queen Aishwarya and Devyani, the potential daughter-in-law, there was a tussle there. All of the complication is the struggle for power. Who rules and who wins and who gets everything and who gets away with it? Very human, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. It turns out uh, these divine royals are uh, very much uh, human, like all of us. Yes, and that reminds me of a comment one of the people I met in Nepal said just in this way. So if they were divine, this would not have happened. So in their death, they proved they were not divine the way they died. This was the final proof. Wow. Well, Dr. Sen, thank you so much for uh, speaking with us today and helping us understand um, this very terrible tragedy. Thank you so much. Uh, It was really fun to get back into some of the conspiracy theories around this. Not fun to talk about this tragic episode. of, But sure, yeah. (laughs) But the conspiracies around it and how people try to make sense of a terrible tragedy. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. 
Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at the alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot alarmist. With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. And fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. I know I've said this before. But I could have listened to Dr. Sen for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> yeah, I want to take her class. I definitely do. Yeah, we should sign up. I mean, what is up with these royals? I mean... They are an interesting breed. Just royals in general, Well, right? what was so interesting, I thought, too, was that, uh, you know, in the episode, we talked a little bit about the gilded cage and, and about how royals were treated differently. But uh, according to Dr. Sen, what made the, the, Nepal, the Nepalese um, royals so unique was that they were actually known for being humble. They were very family-oriented. Yeah. Um, in a sense, mm-hmm. they, were, uh, they had a relationship with the people that was... Uh, unique in in a sense, they they the, the people sort of believe them to be, um, yes, more down to earth. I think was what she, what she said. Uh, uh, you know, uh, a clue that we had that we overlooked was the fact that this took place during a Friday night family dinner, right? And that sounds right. so familiar to all of us. You know, so many of us have Sunday night dinners or whatever it may be. But the fact that they all actually gathered around and like Dr. Sen said, they knew each other. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think of in comparison, I think about the British royals and I wonder how often have, they, I mean, how often do they see each other? I, I, I don't even have, I mean, has, has Charles even met Harry's children? Uh, the latest child? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, ve- very different vibes is different what I'm vibes. getting. <laughs> it's interesting to think about getting like all the uh, royal families together, right? Like in that dynamic of like how royal is each royal family. I, like I, was, I hadn't thought about it that way until she said, you know, compared to other European and like Asian royal families, like they're the most down to earth. Yes. It's like if you think about the royal family as an individual, <laughs> like who are they in your friend group? <laughs> you know? I mean... Of course, even within the royals, there's a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. I, of of course, uh, but you just never think of that because you just think, oh, they're a royal, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe that's us. Maybe that's us <laughs> putting that We're like, royal thing royalty, on them, you know that. right? Another really interesting thing she brought up that I mm-hmm. thought was fascinating was thinking about this idea of at the time there was this guided democracy that the king was trying to enact, which was, look, you're autonomous, your villages, there's the huge ethnic diversity within this country, you do your thing over there, it's fine. But you know, I'm still the king of you and my, you, you have right. to listen to me. So the, the sort of vague sort of vagueness of that, to me, I, I think played a lot into what was so interesting about the turmoil of this time, which is this Maoist movement that was coming in from the from the fringes of the country heading towards the capital. Mm-hmm. 
so I don't know. I, I, I just found that to be fascinating sort of backdrop uh, for w- what eventually led to this, this, this piece, this massacre was sort of in the middle of this democratization of, of Nepal. It sort of was this necessary sort of step in what, what eventually became, uh, what, how Nepal, Nepal eventually became a democracy. And, you know, it was just fu- it was fascinating to hear about the context um, around that from Dr. Sen. Yeah, it, you could definitely sense that it was a transitional period um, in, in the country's uh, politics and how they were being ruled. And you can't help but, uh, you know, wonder how much that played into, um, you know, whatever theory you believe happened, it all feels like it could have been fueled by the, you know, uncertainty yeah. of the future. It's true. You know, mm-hmm. whether it was the, the, whether it was the crown prince who had the uncertainty of, of who he would, would he be able to marry the love of his mm-hmm. life or, right. you know, what was going to happen with the family, with the, with the monarchy going forward, you know, it, it all centers around this uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels. Yeah. Um, how about this curse that Dr. Sen <laughs> no, told us about? Curse. I know. The ten fingers. Whoa. You should have eaten ten the yogurt. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so I thought it was so interesting how she started off the interview when you asked about just like a, an abbreviated version of her explaining that, you know, like the royals come into power because it's like thought that they have a divine right mm-hmm. to rule, right? And then at the end that I think she said she spoke to like a local who was like, well, they proved that they weren't divine by their death. Yeah. Like that what an interesting concept to I mean, first of all to be like I have a divine right to rule, it's like a really bold <laughs> statement and for sure. people to buy into that and then but if they do it's like, well, you guess you weren't divine because you got killed. Right. It right. wouldn't happen if you were divine. It's so interesting. And I, it, it makes me think that the only way that royals could work nowadays uh-huh. is if they've been, you know, if they're just a tradition versus, you know, something that's old and, and something that has happened for thousands mm. of years. Like, I can't imagine of like a new royal family, although maybe it's happening and we're not seeing it before our eyes. Are you talking about like actually a, a monarchy? Yes. <laughs> Are the like Kardashians in a, like our an American new monarchy? Royal yeah, I'm very. I just got very nervous. <laughs> if the Kardashians were making uh, like political decisions that affected our day to day lives, we might be a little bit more invested in the Kardashians. The- or, or worried more so that's how i that's how i think about billionaires in america that's I'm, true I oh mean, god when you they think about elon musk oh who's god. like you know what i'm gonna spend money on whatever i want and that's going to basically be a direction that he points the country in in terms yeah. of what's to come like because i just don't trust Mars or whatever us as humans that we're not going to com- uh, you know continue to make these mistakes right we're not going to continue to fall into these patterns of wanting uh, or or believing in 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 an absolute monarchy you know or or believing that pe- some people are are have g- been given a divine right well, which I guess goes back to what Dr. Sen was saying, like, it's a power struggle. I mean, I feel like yes. whether it's a monarchy, whether it's having the most money or having the most say in a society or, you know, whatever, like everyone's always struggling for status, right? Mm-hmm. That's ultimately right. what all of these things come down to. Yes, it was within the country, it was within the family, even within the royals. 
the different royal mm-hmm. families. Mm-hmm. Did you know, it make you consider uh, uh, swapping out the who's to blame, the, the, the jail term? We did end up setting, sending um, the king's brother, Gyanendra, to the alarmist jail. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting that Dr. Sen said that he was not a very popular monarch because his whole reign was tainted by, you know, this cl- massacre. <laughs> right. You know? And he, he wasn't considered as legitimate as no. some of the other monarchs. And mm-hmm. that gave rise again to this uh, Maoist movement that was, um, that yeah, was growing. That ended up being a necessary in, in terms of uh, having democracy, creating democracy right. in, in Nepal. Now, and, and if he did orchestrate the massacre, mm-hmm. then it was not, it was clearly not his intention, right? I, I don't think he would have wanted that outcome. Right. But so it, if right? he did, then, because we had to take a swing. I remember now I'm, I'm, yes. we had to basically, <laughs> we, we're like, we're all looking at each other. The podcast was almost over and we had to pick something. <laughs> So we picked Guy and Endra. Now, in hindsight, having now spoke to the expert, which I always recommend to the alarmy, listen to the expert. Yes. <laughs> Tune into the aftermath. Listen to the expert. Uh, but in hindsight, what, what do you think we should do? Well, you know, we also, I just want to remind everyone, we, we gave the big slap to uh, Dependra. Dependra. Right. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Sen also said that in, in talking to the locals in Nepal, there was a lot of actual warmth you know when they spoke about yeah. the crown prince. yeah he was well liked mm-hmm. oh even if he had committed and again i just keep remembering things from our conversation where uh when she said that even if he had committed this atrocity he would have still been king yeah because he's above the law right that was fascinating that just blows wild. my mind wild so i I I have to agree, you know, I have to just trust and agree with Dr. Sen. Um, I think in this case, I know power is such a big one, you know, it's like capitalism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. But we have sent uh sent uh human instinct, I believe, to the alarmist jail <laughs> before. We've yeah multiple we've, times, yeah, right? We may have, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, some sort of a, a, a way the way she specified it was that she said, Who wins, who gets away with it? And I thought that was interesting. Mm. Power, who wins it, who gets away with it, the struggle for it. To me, who gets away with it is so interesting in the terms of this in the context of this tragedy because what you have here is exactly what you just talked about okay you got dependra if he knew somehow that he would end up king and he couldn't be prosecuted for even this massacre you know that to me suggests he knew he could get away with it and i think Mm. getting away with it is also you know could sort of speak to sort of some of the turbulence that happened after the massacre it's like there was this weird power vacuum the king wasn't fully legitimate and then there was this it sort of it sort of amped the stakes for a takeover by the Maoists. so can they get away with it <laughs> of taking over everyone's the, just trying to get government. away with it chris i, I don't know i, I think just... you're trying to get away with with this as well <laughs> yeah. what are you trying to what are you trying to get away with um, <laughs> your agenda? I, I don't know i just thought it was interesting how she put power 
in those terms of yeah. Can I say one thing about power Please. that I just uh, that's related to power that I I feel like we should correct this because I clearly had a misunderstanding. Okay. It really blew my mind when she clarified for us that Devyani's parents were upset that she her, the daughter would want to marry into quote such a poor royal family. Oh yeah. Oh wow. And that the mother-in-law right. disapproved because she, the daughter-in-law would be richer and more powerful than her. <gasps> I thought it was the other way around. Yes. That to me is fascinating <laughs> and speaks to like the power dynamics of, you know, like who has more money, who has more clout. Like, oh, how the hierarchy to- is so gross, right? Just like these imposed hierarchies based on money and, and money, yeah. Really, really, it influence. comes down to money. Yeah. But yeah, but a little <laughs> bit of influence and more, more money. <laughs> um, okay. So, I feel and and honestly, when it comes to monarchy, I feel like this is a, a common theme. You know, um, the power struggle hmm. is real, mm-hmm. and I think it's under a microscope too when it when it comes to that because because it's based on birthright, right? Versus versus uh, actually, you know, who deserves it. Right. It's not an arm it's not based on merit. It's based on just birthright. So that right. feels chaotic to me, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. as as a society because it's luck of the draw. Mm-hmm. So I I think we should just go ahead and well, how do we want to define it? Uh maybe the uh, power the the struggle for power maintaining power, yes. holding on to power? Yes. Who who gets mm. to maintain? But it's like Chris said, who who gets away with it, and who gets who gets the next uh, swing at it? <laughs> I don't know. I yeah. I, I I think maybe in this case, because the subject is so given to so many conspiracy theories, and because there's so much, so many pieces missing out of this puzzle, that I, I think it allows for us to make a, a a a play of putting power in jail, which is a broad term, yes. But in this case, I think. It applies and, yeah. you know, and Look, sort of I'll just type it in all caps, oh. capital P-O-W-E-R, power. Yeah, and can you put an exclamation point after it? <laughs> yes. Great. Done. Um, so I'm going to call it power. You're going to the alarmist jail. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Our electricity just shut off. Oh, oh no. no. <laughs> Wrong power. Wrong this power. is why I wanted to specify, you guys. <laughs> what if we do pow with P-O-W, like pow? Like in, in the capital comics? letters, yeah, uh-huh. like in capital letters, like power in the sense it's, of violence. It's already done, Chris. We've already, oh, yeah, it. we're gonna have to do a lot of paperwork <laughs> if we want to change that. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, but, well, you know, again, thank you so much to Dr. Sen and Alarmy. If you're out there, I just want to remind you to please rate, review, subscribe to the show. Leave us a little comment. It's great to hear from you, and it also helps us really spread the word about our show. And if you want us to continue doing episodes and continue covering all of these terrible tragedies and getting all of these awesome experts, we do need your help mm-hmm. and your support. And this is a great way to to uh, support us. Oh, and uh, before we go, I just want to give a shout out to the Alarmist listener who recommended this topic to us. And this is way back in 2020. And they wrote us an email saying, Hey, Rebecca, my name is Abhay Manandar, 
It's okay if you don't pronounce it right. I'm so sorry, Abe. Uh, and I, I listen from Nepal. I love this podcast. Uh, most of the podcasts I listen to have male hosts. So when I found this podcast, it was amazing. And your voice is wonderful. Thank you. And then uh, recently I was listening to the Burr-Hamilton duel. And you guys mentioned about global tragedies. I immediately thought about the massacre of the Nepali royal family. I personally don't know a lot about the topic because it happened before I was born. Ooh, so a young listener. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. <laughs> uh, but I heard uh, a lot of wild theories. So again, thank you so much for recommending this topic to us. And tune in next week because we are going to be discussing the Great Kanto Earthquake. Powered by ACAST.